1: Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Hacked last hour here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Presented by Progressive Insurance. Yeah, that voice you just heard is not key. It's Bart Scott, the 11-year NFL vet. Key. hopefully Zubin, back tomorrow. right now,
2: when you hear that song, when it's bumping with some 10s in the back, you ever have 10s in the back? You put 10s in the car? No, I had
1: a Honda Civic, <laughs> so That's I was the just hoping. That's a car for the 10s, man!
3: <laughs> <laughs> and you, and you, got, you got them, but you know, they ain't even in a the box. They're <laughs> in so the back. They're in over. the back. They're falling over. Hit your boy's
1: head.
2: You're hey, man, up man. The speaker gave me a concussion. Sorry, man. Zubin. Sorry, it brought me back. You know what I mean? Yeah, no Something problem. It's about when the base
1: hits. Take care of a Honda. You can drive it forever. I feel like we're on the halftime report. What car are we doing here? On the, is it the Mercedes Benz? Is it the Jeep halftimer? But what is going on here? Right bro, bro, now? Honda can go
3: 200,000 miles without an oil change, baby. That was reliable.
1: No question about it. Speaking of reliable, <laughs> Big Ben has won two Super Bowls. Could be in line for a third. By the way, this is an amazing stat. We're going to have some big Big NBA news we're going to talk here about in just two minutes. Ben's won two titles. The NBA news concerns a guy still looking for his first, and I promise you, hang on in two minutes. We'll have it for you. Ben Roethlisberger's first of two Super Bowls, the one they won with defense after the 2005 regular season, obviously won the other one when he hits Antonio Holmes. But the first one, Ben Roethlisberger's first Super Bowl. He was 23 years and 320 days old. The reason I mention that He's the youngest guy to ever win the Super Bowl at the yeah. quarterback position. 23 years, 320 days. Then he won a second. They're 8-0. They have to be one of the favorites yeah. to win a third. Bart, he wins a third. Oh, fill in the blank. He oh. wins a third.
3: Um uh potentially first ballot hall of famer. Now I know Jay will got some things that's going to keep him away from first ballot, but his resume would be cemented. He's one of the best in the game. And I think because he's so physical, he sits in the pocket and he takes these big hits. He swats people down, but I think we underappreciate him. You know what I mean? We used to call him Michael slick because people don't realize <laughs> just how elusive he is. And he's like a dancing times. Sometimes you have a clear shot on him and he can make you miss. And he's always had the knack for the dramatic, you know, he's, like like Michael Myers, right? You think you killed him? I remember breaking his nose one time; it was crooked. All he did was put the uh, tissue in his nose. You know, he's one of the guys that like, he played, and he had, he had plastic surgery. So plastic surgery. I was like, man, what do I have to do to kill this guy? I hit him one time; I thought he was dead. He got up like this dude's my. I feel you like to stay? Yeah, you don't yeah, hit and then yeah, run away. You yeah. keep hitting. Exactly, man. I feel like Mike Tomlin is like Paul Barrow. Get up! Like, what is this do? The Undertaker, man. I can't wait. What does this dude got to do to die? But you know, you know, he came back, and we didn't know what he was going to be after the elbow surgery, right. and he's come back and. He's He's picked up right where he left off. He had to get the three B's out of there because we we understood that that couldn't go forward. That became a dysfunctional um, you know, relationship. But what he's been able to do this year, eight 0 one of the best record in, in Steelers history. He has an opportunity to go to rarefied air, and if he gets there, I think he moves up past John Elway. Yeah, I said it. He moves up past Dan Marino. He moves up there, right underneath those guys that are Montana, um, Terry Bradshaw. Um, Brady. You, know, you know, he's, Brady. Like, he's like one yeah. slot. Yeah, underneath he's one slot under Rushmore. the great. Right, he's yeah. right under right Mount Rushmore, looking up. And we don't know how much long he's going to play because he takes so many hits. And he reminds me of the, the late great. Steve McNair mm. with just – you look at his you look at his injury report, it's like, bro, this is an encyclopedia. Mm. But you definitely have to put him in as far as the Hall of Fame.
2: If he wins a third, he will be that one slot beneath the Mount Rushmore of yeah. great quarterbacks as it relates to Super Bowl championships. There's no doubt about that. And when you think about Ben Roethlisberger, you have to look at the full body of work. I yeah. think that's really important, Bart. Yeah. So the full body of work on the field displays one thing that should have him be a first ballot Hall of yeah. Famer. But we also live in a world where people have subjective views based upon what they value. And not everybody just values what your on-field stats are. They also value what happened off the field. And unfortunately, I think for Ben, some of the things that happened off the field have made it a little bit more of murky water when it comes to determining what ballot Hall of Famer he will be.
3: Exactly, because we saw things off the field keep Randy from going first ballot. They kept Charles Haley from going in first ballot. Because it's supposed to be about what you did on the field, but we understand that the human element always comes in that. So I think that may stop him from being, you know, a first ballot. But if he gets three, it's going to be hard for you not to put him there because he's a quarterback and he's played in one of the toughest divisions in all of football for, you know, well over, what, 15 years. So, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating kind of, you know, test to, to kind of think about where does he fall because – He's right there tied with Eli, but even before you know he wins this next one, I would say that he was a better quarterback than Eli and, and Phillip Rivers. You know, We always talk about that draft class that had uh, what, Marino, Elway, Kelly. 19, yeah, 84. we always talk about that. We got to start putting respect on that draft as well because they're going to have three Hall of Famers, and Phillip Rivers is the only one that's probably going to leave without a title, but you have four Super Bowl championships in between that draft class, so we're going to have to start elevating that class. I know we want to talk about the class that's in now, whether it's the Sean Watson and Mahomes, but you know, that one was definitely something special. They 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 controlled and dominated the NFL for 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 an era.
1: Tiger Talk in four minutes. Andy Ooh, North. Tiger Wood, Give me some fajitas. U.S. Open champion. They did have the Masters champions dinner last night. If you're unaware of that, the defending champion always gets to set the menu for the next year's championship. And fajitas was on the menu. So was a tuna roll. There was also some wine. I know you love wine, oh, wine yeah. from Tigers. So we'll get into that with we're Andy North.
2: We talking about a Cab? Are we talking about a blend? What we, what, what it was hard to here? tell. They just What's
3: kind of favorite? tweeted out a photo of the menu. Somebody's making a wine in my name. And I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what I want to
2: like. I'm on. a big Camus guy. I love Cayman's, C-A-Y-M-U-S. man. M-U-S. It's too damn
3: expensive,
2: though, man. Well, I um, know.
3: It's like $200 a bottle. I'm falling over the budget. Uh, I didn't say
2: you're drinking it every day. It's okay. like table wine. Well, you say you drink it every day, so no, i was telling you. Uh, every once in a while when you celebrate a good occasion. Oh, you so, know, you make an investment in yourself. So
3: you drink Andre's, and then when it's very special. I don't drink the Andre Iguodalas. You know, I'm talking about the Andre's out of the no, cart. I, I know. You. <laughs> the old school, the box <laughs> Box wine. Box wine. <laughs>
1: Well, here we go. Um, they would break out champagne if the Rockets could win their first championship in 25 years. They, the liquor would be flowing. But this is interesting. This this morning, from Woj, the NBA's best insider, and Tim McMahon, who was all over the Rockets and the Mavs, one of the best reporters in the state of Texas, in hoops. Both guys reporting this morning on a story that's just posted on ESPN.com. In the wake of the departures of head coach Mike D'Antoni and their general manager, Daryl Morey, now both obviously in Philadelphia. Harden, James Harden and Russell Westbrook have expressed concerns about the direction of the franchise. They have a new general manager in Raphael Stone. They have a new head coach in Steven Silas, who has been a career long assistant for 19 years, never been a head coach. So now the two most important players In the franchise, Harden and Westbrook are expressing concern about the direction of the team after a new general manager and a new head coach are now in charge in Houston. That seems to be breaking news, but it's not to Jay Will who basically four days ago on this program said this. And
2: mark this down. James Harden will not win a championship with the Houston Rockets. I think he will go somewhere else eventually to try to get that done. Jay? Jay? If you're James Harden, you're sitting there saying, okay, father time is undefeated. Yes. How long do I have to continue to play at this caliber of level of basketball? And if anything, Stephen Silas, great that you've been an assistant coach for 19 years. Raphael Stone, great that this is going to be your first time as a GM. But I, I need I need better pieces around me. I'm trying to win a world championship. Not yesterday, not two years ago, three three years ago, four right. years ago. I need to win one now. Now, and we're not doing that with small ball. I bought into Daryl Morey. I bought into Mike D'Antoni. No, they are no longer here. But it's time for me to go somewhere else. I do not think James Harden will stay a Houston Rocket. I think him and Russell Westbrook will find a way to force themselves out of this situation. I will oppose this as well. Daryl Morey did get hired by the Philadelphia 76ers. That was done for a reason. Not only because he's a talented GM. He's a genius in his own fashion but also because of his relationship with James Harden. He drafted James Harden. He found James Harden, made him a believer, gave him the keys to the franchise. You're telling me for all this talk about whether Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can coexist, I've been talking about this, it feels like, for years between these two, the passive aggressiveness between them both. Who's the leader of this team? Who's going to take on the ownership of saying this is my team? You're telling me that maybe for a potential straight-up trade,
3: Straight up, that's right. Straight up,
2: Ben Simmons for James Harden. Now, what you decide, what they decide to do, what they decide to do with Russell Westbrook for more assets, that's to be determined. But if you're Daryl Morey, if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, you're trying to make this happen. Because that pairing between James Harden and Joel Embiid with some other assets around you defensively and you get the right shooting, I like that combination. Because now you have a guy who is averaging seven assists a game in James Harden, a guy that can shoot lights out. You involve him in a pick and pop with a guy like Joel Embiid. You can play fast. You can also play slow in the half court. That's a pairing I love to see together.
3: Now, do you add Al Horford to that because now you want the floor open and you know that Joel Embiid and Al Horford can't play together, so maybe you can try and make the money match that way by sending, by sending Al Horford as well with Ben Simmons to open up the space and maybe get more assets. Now, tell me this. What other place? But also,
2: can I I was to say, sure. also to add on to that – They brought Doc Rivers in because Doc Rivers was the one coach that was able to unlock Tobias Harris. Yeah. Right? So that was something they they paid Tobias Harris a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money. And he didn't live up to that expectation last year. So now that you bring that coach in combined with a guy who can shoot, think about this. I play with players like this. When you play with a guy who can't shoot – the defense slacks yeah. off you. So, son, if you're a guy trying to find the rhythm, you can't get to the cup because there's always a random defender looming around. Yeah. You kick it out to Ben. Remember, Mike D'Antonio. Uh, I'm sorry, um, the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, Brett Brown, yeah. was trying to mandate that Ben Simmons was going to shoot the ball, but Ben Simmons <laughs> never shot the ball, right? So it, it clogs up the lanes. That's why Joel Embiid couldn't go to work because the lanes were always clogged. Right. So now, if you re- if you kind of make that disappear, now you can't. You can't. I mean, you can't clog up the lane on James Harden, right? How are you going to play that?
3: And Embiid can open up the floor too and space the floor as well because he's a guy, a big man that can shoot. But tell me this: then. we have another team that's desperate to win and they want to keep their they want to keep their um, star happy. And, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah, I can't say just say Giannis. Here. Yeah, it's Giannis. like Prince, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I told you I got a associate's degree. But you know, when you think about when you think about the Milwaukee Bucks and if you send you know Harding there, they have the assets to maybe send back and give them more of a young core that can be able to, whether it's Bledsoe or you think about George Hill or, you know, they got a lot of assets that they can that they can free up. It seems like they have more players that they can send to Houston. How would you like to see maybe Harden maybe go to to the to the Bucks?
2: I mean, that, that would be another great com- conversation, I'm sure. Maybe you know, seeing Chris that, Middleton. That crew. I mean, look, I mean, if you're sending Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, potentially another asset, um, you have to think about that if you're Milwaukee. You're trying to win. Yesterday as well. I mean, yeah. how many times you're trying to get to the conference finals, you're trying to win the whole thing. Uh, granted, the season happened in the bubble, but I think James Harden and Giannis together would be an incredible pairing. It, the, the question is, you know, then what do you do if you're Houston with Russell Westbrook? And I've also said this. We talked about it on your show, yeah. on Bard Hahn, where I was like, look, and I heard Alan made mention of this too, your co-host, the New York Knicks. the New York, And, and for Houston, if you get assets in return – You know, if that's things that can come off your books, a lot of expiring contracts, you're able to get cap space, you're able to then go into the market next year after the cap kind of gets worked through after this year, maybe get a higher draft pick, you're rebuilding mode if you're accepting that as Houston, which I would think if you have a first-year head coach, a first-year GM as well, right? People already talked about how their owner is a little bit strapped for cash even though he is willing to go over to luxury cap. I think that could be another scenario for them, and it brings Russ to New York City, which, look, New York City is dying for a guy to want to be here want to be a star that wants to be here. Maybe, you know, for the way he plays, you start building around that. Maybe him, RJ Barrett, some other pieces that you start building around.
1: We'll continue to follow the conversation here over the next several days. And if anything breaks with CP3... We'll let you Steve. know. Keyshawn J. Will been brought to you by Straight Talk. Look, we all accidentally damage our phones. It happens. Now, Straight Talk Wireless's new Platinum Unlimited plan includes phone protection, just 65 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text data, and more. See mobile protect terms and conditions at Asurion.com slash Straight Talk limitations and exclusions. Apply. It is a tradition unlike any other at a time unlike any other in this glorious event's 86-year history.
0: The best part about driving down Magnolia Lane, whether you're doing it for the first time or have done it for decades, is how the light filters and floats through the limbs and the leaves of the trees. It really is one of those rare and fleeting moments of perfection, the kind where you remember how you felt long after you've forgotten exactly what you saw to make you feel that way.
1: There are few people on earth that write prose and recite it like Wright Thompson. That's ESPN's Wright Thompson on how memorable the Masters is for anybody that's fortunate enough to go to Augusta National. And that's where we head right now. We're joined on the Shell Pennzoil performance line by Andy North, the two-time U.S. Open champion. He'll be on... Sports Center throughout the day. He'll be on all of our coverage, first and second round coverage of the Masters exclusively on ESPN Thursday and Friday. Andy, good morning. It's great to talk to you again. I guess we got to start with the question everyone wants to know what is the state of Tigers' game right now as he looks for an incredible repeat performance?
4: Well, Z Man, it's always wonderful to be on with you, first of all. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting that a lot of people don't realize that Tiger Woods is actually the defending champion here. Uh, it's been so long and there's been so much talk about how he's not playing any good and how he's not ready and how he hasn't played enough, which is all true. He has not played some great golf, but I think it's really important the fact that he's, he looks very comfortable here. It looks like his body's working well. Um, he's, and I think if you take uh, a, a world-class athlete where, the, where there's been greatness and and he's in a good spot and he's comfortable, uh, there's a good chance he can play well. Now his, record in the last 12 months would indicate there's no chance that he could compete here but this is a golf course that he's won on five times he's he understands it it's a course that takes an awful lot of experience on to get it around understanding where to hit it where to miss it those sort of things and if he can get off to a decent start and it's all up to his putter Uh, he's hit the ball okay over the last year but he has not putted very well So if he can putt the ball decent, you never know. But, you know, when a player's a great player, great things happen once in a while.
3: Now you speak about that, you know, the familiarity with the course, but could that be fool's gold because now it's in November and everything may look the same, but it's not the same, you know, knowing that the greens could be different and the ball could be different, you know, knowing that the moisture and the conditions from the elements are different from April than it is in November.
4: Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, The grass, obviously, is not as mature as it is in April. Uh, But you still, they haven't changed the holes. You still have to play them a certain way. You still have to uh, miss it on the right side of a particular green versus the left side. And he understands that. And I think last year was the perfect example of what a veteran player understands about winning at, at Augusta. And that was how he played the 12th hole. So many guys went for the pin on the back right pin, put it in the water. Tiger put it 50, 60 feet left, a very safe, smart shot. But that's the kind of shot you have to hit on 12 on a Sunday. And I think that's the kind of experience that a first- or second-year player just doesn't have.
3: Now, not just with golf, with all sports. You know, you talk about veteran players kind of understand and, and, and be able to perform in the moment. With no fans, will it you know be easier to play there for some players that may succumb to the, the pressure of playing and missing in front of people?
4: Well, I think that's a big a big point, that both Tiger and Rory have spoken during the season about how there's no energy. They're so used to having so many people around them and feeding off of that energy and uh, people spurn you on when you're struggling. That's a big part. And I think we've seen some younger players have success this year and, and have actually won some big events because there's nothing else going around. There's there's not the buzz around it. It's I think it's probably simpler for an inexperienced player to play when there's no gallery or patrons, as here. But at the same time, this is a little different animal than three weeks ago or six weeks ago, just a regular tour event.
2: Andy, Jay Williams here. How are you doing, brother, first and foremost? Jay, well, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's like yesterday we were hoops. at a Wisconsin practice, man, watching, watching your Badgers hoop. <laughs> I I, You know, from being on the golf course a ton and playing in a lot of these, uh, you know, like mini pro-ams, having fans, like last year watching the Masters, the amount of roars that you heard from fans on the course when Tiger was making putts, it almost felt like whenever you saw the cameras tune into other players, like their their chin would lift up. They would pay attention to it. Like, how does that factor in when you don't know what else is happening on the course? Does that take... More? Does it put more pressure on you? Does it take the pressure off, Andy? How do, how do you assume well, that will be handled?
4: That's one of the, the most intriguing parts of this particular championship is that the the patrons really do play a big part of it because of the roars and the noise. I mean, I know when I was playing, I knew if it was a polymer par or a birdie by Nicholas. I mean, you could tell who made the putt or who made the shot or and where it was, and you could tell – by the different roars, who that player was, which is amazing. And, you know, Tigers had the same effect on these guys today. And it's, it's not only the positive effect for the player doing it, but it's also negative for guys that, oh, geez, Tiger made another birdie before it even goes up on the scoreboard, or Tiger's done something well. And another spot where it made such a difference, let's say you're on the 11th green, and the group in front of you hits it in the water at twelve. The groan is unbelievable. Mm. I mean, it's it's like the guy missing the free throw one and one at the end of the game. Uh, you know, it says, oh my gosh, he's got to shoot another free throw. We're dead. You know, that kind of attitude. And now, as the player on the 11th green, you're thinking, oh, geez, you're starting to think about that shot before you need to. So the, the roars and the groans really do have a big impact, and it's going to be really weird. I walked the golf course on Monday uh, quite a bit, and it was so silent i mean you didn't even hear the birds you know i mean it was like it was eerie it was like you if you've ever gone to the redwoods and you get deep into the redwoods and there's not a sound that's how it's that's how it feels here
1: last thing for you the sound that the driver makes when the club face hits the ball Off of Bryson DeChambeau's shaft, just
4: like yours, man. It's the same time yours,
1: right? I'm usually a little ob. He might not be. He might be at the top of the leaderboard. But for the casual golf fan Andy uh, that may not know, this guy hits it a country mile every time he tees it up. How might his game and his reformed body and approach attack Augusta National?
4: Well, I think that, you know. One, there's a couple of things that are very important at Augusta National. Greens and regulation usually indicates the winner, or, or, or close to it. Very seldom do you have a guy win here that doesn't rank really high in greens and regulation. Of the five Masters, Tiger's won. He's been number one in greens regulation four times and finished number two the, the fifth time. So hitting the ball on the green in the right place is paramount. But if you can hit, drive it far enough that you've got a pitching wedge into these greens, it's much easier to put the ball in the right position on the green. So you've got some birdie opportunities. So the distance that Bryson is hitting it is going to make such a difference on approach shots and the fact that he can hit on every one of the par fives easily. He doesn't have to strain to do it. He can just hit a normal drive and a five iron to most of these par fives. So his par basically is 68. So if he can just go out and play to his par, he's going to be really tough to beat. But I think, he has not putted the ball very well here in his last two years here. Now, he putted great at the U.S. Open. His short game was really good at the U.S. Open. If he can bring that same short game here, he's got a real chance. But unfortunately, to win championship golf, it's not just all about driving the ball. You've got to do a lot of different things, and particularly at Augusta, you have to make sure you don't make a bad swing at the wrong time. And, you know, A bad swing at 12 hit it in the water bad swing at 15 hit it in the water if you had a bad swing at number one you missed the green and still can get it up in it's no big deal so it's it's where you make bad swings can you make key putts uh, there's a lot that goes into it and obviously bryson is one of those seven or eight guys that really are favorites to win here but i'm really looking forward to seeing where he drives it on some of these holes
1: Exclusive first-round coverage on ESPN. Exclusive second-round coverage on ESPN Thursday, Friday. And what a Saturday it will be when College Game Day meets the Masters, the best pregame show in sports at Augusta. And then Saturday night on ABC, Wisconsin noted fan Andy North and noted Michigan man, Desmond Howard. They'll be both in Augusta on Saturday, and I hope after the third round you guys can enjoy that Big Ten tilt together. We always enjoy our time with you. I can't wait to talk to you tomorrow, Andy. Thank you. Thanks, Andy.
4: Thanks, thanks E man And hey, ESPN Plus, the only way you're going to see Tiger Woods play at 7.55 on Thursday morning.
1: Ooh, Absolutely. I love that company plug, <laughs> Grab it Andy, on the streaming service. Already got it, Andy. There you go,
4: boys. Right, right, Thank you. Thanks. Enjoyed it. He's the best man.
1: He is really one of the greats. One of the greats. Still to come. The NBA is back. December 22nd. 72-game season. How did we all get here? That is on the way.
4: Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them.
3: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions
1: apply. Great opportunity to stop and talk with... Garrett Temple of the Brooklyn Nets and the vice president of the National Basketball Players Association. Essentially right there in the thick of it as the NBA and the owners, the players and the owners got together to try to get a season going. Garrett, good morning. From what we know, draft on the 18th, free agency on the 20th. The season begins December 22nd with a 72-game regular season. How did it all come together?
0: Good morning, fellas. Appreciate y'all having me. What's up, Um, GT? I mean, What's going on? What up? Uh, I mean, y'all got it exactly right. Uh, it came together pretty quickly. Obviously, uh, there were talks about doing something in January. Um, I mean, I heard that thing, uh, things may even happen uh, as late as March. Maybe they could try to get fans in the seats. But once we realize, I'm, I'm assuming basically the uptick in COVID cases and, um, and then understanding our TV partners, you know, uh, trying to avoid the Olympics and trying to uh, – Get a, get a Christmas Day game, which is very big for the NBA. We're the only team that plays on Christmas. Um, you know, starting it right before Christmas was, was something that we wanted to try to do. And, um, you know, there's obviously been a lot of teams that haven't played since since March. So a lot of guys were really itching to get back on the court. And uh, we were able to come up with, with a scenario that would allow us to get 72 games in, um, finish before the Olympics, and, um, and obviously not have to play too many back-to-backs.
3: Well, you know, you guys have such labor peace. You know, it's the envy of a lot of other sports. It seems like you guys get, to get get along with you know Silver really, really well. You know, did it come down to the to the simple fact that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? I mean, you know, the the guys that were in the bubble that had the long season, but understanding that it had been guys who hadn't played since last March.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I mean, the guys. Obviously, the guys. Um, you know. that, that – on the championship game, the Lakers, the Miami Heat, the guys that were in the conference finals. Um, And even us, you know, Brooklyn, we we played in uh, in the first round, guys that were in the bubble. We understood that uh, the game was, the season was going to have to get, we wanted it to get back to its original date eventually. Um, So why not try to do it uh, in a time during a pandemic where there will be no fans, maybe travel, maybe a little bit different, maybe a little bit easier. Um, And the fact that you know, at, at the end of the day, money is, is a really big factor here. And, uh, you know, we, we make the most money when, we, when we're when we able to play on Christmas and, and finish the season before the Olympics. So all of that being said, as you said, we have a great relationship with the league in terms of being able to negotiate in, a, in good faith. Michelle Roberts, our executive director, has done a great job. She's been phenomenal for us. And, um, you know, it, it, it came together quickly, but uh, we're happy with the results.
2: Garrett I love the way you represent my Nets man uh, there's no doubt there's a future for you in, in leadership position you, you made mention of money so 10% of player salaries get kept in escrow that number now needs to go up to 13% for discretionary income that the league can then use in case you know something catastrophe uh, some kind of catat- catastrophe happens uh, how how were those negotiations when you guys were in those rooms to think about hey Look, we have to give up some things in order to get these games, and I seem to, it like that feels like there's so many moving parts.
0: Yeah, there are, there are a lot of moving parts, Jay, and uh, I don't know if we've ever spoken, but I, I, I was a, I'm a big fan, man. I've always been a big fan of yours, uh, but um, you know the fact that we and I, we weren't on, in rooms; we were on Zoom instead, um, discussing how to you know negotiate, understanding that the owners. The ownership will not get their full share of BRI this upcoming season because of the loss of revenue and trying to figure out how to allow them to get that but also mitigate um, the, the big-time losses from the players' perspective. Uh, so to be able to smooth that over three years um, rather than having to just dump a whole 30% of, of, of the salaries back to the owners right away, we're able to smooth that over over three years And then um, do that again the second year and then the third year. By the third year, we should be back to making the amount of money that we were making before. So the negotiation was tough. Obviously, um, they wanted more. We wanted less. It goes back and forth. But as you said, when you you do things in good faith, eventually you'll come up with a solution.
2: There's always give and take in any kind of negotiation. What was... What were some of the things that you think basketball has learned? Obviously, you guys are in a bubble, but you're not being a bubble this upcoming season from the likes of MLB or NFL as far as moving forward.
0: Yeah, no question. And um, the fact that, you know, it, it, the onus is on the players themselves. Once you get out of the bubble, it's on the players to uh, conduct themselves in a way that will, um, you know, will allow you to try to stay COVID-free. Um, obviously, we, we're grown men, and we're, we can do whatever we want to do. But um, in situations where you miss games, um, you know, if you put your teammates at risk to miss games, and obviously the whole organization, you have to keep that in mind once you're uh, doing whatever you're doing outside of, outside of the gym, outside of the court. I'm assuming we will be get, getting tested every day, um, but at the same time, it's on us to make sure we wear our mask, wash our hands, do things to continue to prevent um, us uh, contracting COVID and obviously spreading it.
3: Now, will part of the compromise be um, that it'll be understood that load management will be accepted? I know they want the stars to play on the big games like you know Christmas, but you do have to—we all have to understand and accept that you know it's going to be a certain amount of players that have a unfair advantage because they haven't fully recovered from the previous season.
0: Agreed. I mean, I, I think I, th- I think um, Adam will understand that more this year. Um, you know, TV partners will will understand that a little more this year than in previous years, because as you said, uh, the Lakers and Miami heat just finished uh, about a month ago in terms of playing the championship game and and training camp starts less than three weeks from now or about three weeks from now. So um, the fact that guys are going to be getting right back into it. And again, some guys are going to have had, you know, um, almost a year off. Uh, So, it's going to be very interesting for different teams. Uh, I think, again, the fact that we don't have as many back-to-backs. There was a scenario to start in January. If we were to finish in um, before the Olympics, it would have been 22 back-to-backs. This scenario that we've decided to, to take only only has us playing 13 to 14, which is the norm. Um, so we'll have just about the same amount of back-to-backs. And, uh, but as, as you said, guys, we'll have played for a long time. And uh, they'll they'll need a little more rest than usual. All
2: right, GT. Let me get you to take your MBPA vice president cap off and put your player cap on. You know, you okay. know what we love to do with the media, man. Everybody starts this whole thing up. I heard Stephen A. Smith talk about this. Where it's championship or bust for your Brooklyn Nets team. Obviously, you guys get KD. He's been there for a year. Coming up with that Achilles injury. Kyrie. You guys have Spencer. You have yourself. You have Karras Levert. Um, how has everything been thus far with you guys as a team? Obviously, bonding is something that needs to happen. That's had to have been difficult considering everything we're dealing with COVID.
0: No question. Um, it has been pretty difficult. Last year, KD was around a lot. Um, uh, obviously, Kyrie was around. Um, so that, that helps. But it's been, you know, seven, eight months since the, the pandemic hit. And only probably seven uh, guys that were on the original squad went to, went to Orlando and, um, the other guys, a lot of them got together in LA. Um, since we've been finished, we've, you know, been in LA people have been in LA, New York. I've been in New York, uh, with my, with my, t- with my kid now. And now back in Louisiana and a visiting family put a quick turnaround. around. So it's going to be, you know, the onus is going to be on training camp, trying to make sure we get that camaraderie, trying to make sure we get that chemistry down, uh, but I, I think the fact that guys are just basketball players, they're, they're all guys that, that have to do certain things. Guys can really just hoop. And we got a lot of guys that just know how to play basketball. I think that's going to help help us. But, um, you know, in terms of championship bus, the championship of Bust, the talent we have, I, I think that's the mindset the guys are going in with. That's the mm-hmm. mindset we want. You know, we want to win a championship. There's only one winner. You know, it's, it's like Ricky Bobby said, you, either you first or you're last. In the <laughs> <league>. So. Um, <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, there are no moral victories, no, no moral victories when you have the talent that we have and, um, the, the, you know, the ability that we have. So we're definitely trying to win.
2: How, how, how have you guys dealt with the media, right? Because I reading an article, it was Steve Nash that said this was going to be a collaborative effort. But then when Kyrie said this is going to be a collaborative effort, obviously it turned into this major story that, hey, they're trying to, you know, say that they're going to outdo Steve Nash and obviously a new coaching staff. How do you guys envision all of this working?
0: It's going to work, man, because at the end of the day, it's basketball. Um, we got, you know, obviously Steve Nash, a guy that was a maestro on the court. Um, and then to bring in the staff that he's able to, been able to assemble, and uh, Coach D'Antoni, um, Ime, um, obviously the people that he's brought back. Uh, you know, and, and then being able to, you know, coach guys like Kyrie Irving that has won a championship, KD that has been MVP, won, won two championships. And, and, and obviously, like you said, the Karrases, the Spencers, the DeAndres, guys that have been around, um, Joe Harris's, if we're able to get him back. I, I think at the end of the day, things will work out the way they're supposed to. And, um, you know, Steve is the type of guy, you know, getting to know him that is very collaborative. He's a guy that asks a lot of questions, wants you to talk, wants you to speak up, and, um, trying to figure out things. Um, so at the end of the day, we, we, we can't worry about what the media says. We understand who the guys on our team are, and that's all that matters.
1: Fair enough. I do recall the last time Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni got together, it turned out pretty well. Hopefully it'll be the same thing for you guys, not in the West, but in the East. Garrett Temple with some great perspective. The NBA draft is a week from tonight, and soon enough, the league will be back. Garrett, thanks for joining us this morning.
0: Thanks, GT. No problem. Appreciate y'all having me. See y'all.
1: You got it. He joined us on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line, and as always, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. On the way, the real winner of the Masters has already been crowned who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow, you shine.
5: Book direct at lq.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com/unsportsmanlike today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p dot unsportsmanlike Hey, hold up. Before I let you go. One more
1: thing before we let you go. Sometimes when we say before we let you go, it's something we need to sneak in. It's at the end of the program. Sometimes it's done in a curt manner, a little Uh. flippant. We just got to add a note in. This is the polar opposite. Like uh, I, I voted for me.
2: Oh, I thought yeah, that's you what just you're around beat like that you and were just saying. You were saying polar. Okay, sorry. I, polar digress. opposite.
1: This is maybe the most important thing that's going to be said on the show yeah. today, especially because I'm sitting next to a pair of African-Americans. I know Key's not a big golf fan. We joke about it. But I actually really wish he was here for this. I want to let you guys know about something that has been done by the Masters, which is getting universal acclaim for an event and a golf club that sometimes deals with racial problems in a different way and has not been as positive with regards to reaction as to what I'm about to tell you. So every year at the Masters, I've had the opportunity to go down once. They have what they call a ceremonial tee shot. Before play begins on Thursday, legends of the game stand up, take a tee shot, and the crowd, they call it the patrons there, love it. And it's been Jack Nicklaus, the six-time Masters champion. He's 80 years old. Gary Player, one of the greatest the black international. Knight,
2: who is my boy. Mm-hmm.
1: One of the greatest international players of all time. They call him the Black Knight. He's always dressed black head to toe. He's 85 years wow. old. He turned 85 this month. He is as spry as can be, by the way. He's in Still great shape. Still hitting the ball.
2: Still no knocking doubt.
1: it. So 80 for Nicholas,
2: yeah.
1: 85 for Player. They've been doing it for years. But for the first time tomorrow, Lee Elder, at the age of 86. Wow. The first black man to ever play at the Masters in 1975 will be the third member of the ceremonial tee shot. Fred Ridley, who is the chairman of Augusta National, a great former amateur player himself at the University of Florida, called Elder 10 days ago, told him we're going to do this. It's not just because it's 2020. It's because it's the right thing to do. You broke the color barrier that allowed us to see Tiger Woods, Cameron Champ, Harold Varner III, all these other great players play golf, play at the masters. He said he broke down in tears when he was told he'll be there with the golden bear and Gary player, Tomorrow at Augusta. So amazing. I, how about that, fellas? I, mean, I, I, I think that's, that's mind boggling. I've
2: known Lee Elder for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm part of a black golf club up in Connecticut. So, so my friends played are from New York all over. Mm-hmm. And we have conversations about this. Can you imagine? And just, you know, I know we live in a world of empathizing. And I'll just say it one time because I watched the Masters since I can remember being a little boy, mm-hmm. being a caddy in Plainfield, New Jersey. That for a guy like Lee, the first time you're playing, you're playing in Georgia. In the South, in a tournament called Masters. In 1975. In 1975, like Masters. Just put that, let that sink in for a second to be mm-hmm. the first black. Like That That says, I can't imagine what he was feeling in a moment like that, understanding the history of that sport and to have that opportunity to be there and participate in that event.
3: Yeah, and you, and you know that, you know, the black athletes sometimes carry the burden or carry the cross for the others that will follow and have to have that responsibility, rather it's Jackie Robinson, whenever you're the first to do anything and the, the, how you have to do it, the dignity and pride and grace in which you have to move in, you have to be you got you got to be apologetic. Mm-hmm. You can't really be who you want to be or who you are because you have to have, understand there's a responsibility not only for yourself and your family, but for others, for those who follow. And the fact that he gets to come full circle and where Tiger Woods are and where we're at now could just be overwhelming. I understand why he broke down.
1: It's so well said. Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball. People don't talk about this guy, but another guy that should be in this group is a guy named Marlon Briscoe. He -hmm. was the NFL's first black quarterback in 1968 with the Denver Broncos. And then seven years after that, Lee Elder, he talked about when you drive down Washington Road, which is like the big road to go into the Masters, you've been watching it on television, they'll show the shot of the clubhouse and you see that long oh, drive yeah. in. He said when he was making that drive into Magnolia Lane, you're making that drive, he was shaking in 1975. He would won wow. an event in 1974, that's how he got in and sooner rather than later, later rather than sooner, however you want to state it. Forty-five years after teeing it up as the first black man yeah. at Augusta, he'll tee it up tomorrow before wow. the fellas play for the 2020 Masters Championship. The Masters. Man, tournament. it's How still luck?
2: that's still one course I've never played. I played. I mean, Pine Valley. I played Baltusrol. Right. Look, look I played right, look right there. because we're gonna get you on there. Pine, look, look Pinehurst right Two, Pinehurst Seven. I Number, mean, I, I, I've never played that course. It's gonna happen one day. Bucket list. Right. Look so into the, the camera and tell them you demand yeah. the it. You this, this is your platform. We'll you, play you, this you got game the juice. Soon you got the juice. You got the juice. <laughs> you
3: got the juice. <laughs> so now. for the
1: twenty twenty one Masters, get ready. A year from now, Lee Elder there. He got the word. He'll wait a year, and at the twenty twenty one Masters, he will be out there for That's that awesome. ceremonial tee shot Amazing. with Lee Elder, Jack Nicklaus, and Gary Player. The Masters will be played without patrons. And today, we ask Keyshawn J Will and Zuba Nation on Twitter, what sports arena or stadium is most impacted by having no fans in the stands? PSU Joe 91 says Beaver Stadium. Saw that the whiteout game that what always is packing Beaver Stadium there in central Pennsylvania. Brian says the Carrier Dome, college basketball's largest crowd drawing annually. That'll do it for us. Hopefully Keyshawn will be back tomorrow. You can hear Bart Scott. Yeah, thanks a lot. On your show. Broke kick me off. On 98. I'm
3: like champ from the Three Stooges. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can hear the show live weekdays at 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPN News or wherever
1: you stream your audio.